Hey everyone, it's John Kerwin here and I'm really excited as this is my podcast called Open Minded. This podcast is interviewing inspirational people from all walks of life. You know, I want to give you the real stuff that's happening every day in the minds of these leaders, how they stay well in high pressure roles, how they build resilience in themselves, how they look after their people and how can you invest in yourself and your people to do mental well-being well. So this is JK and this is Open Minded. So let's go. Well, hi everyone. Uh, welcome back. It's uh, summertime and I'm at the beach, as you can see by the surfboard in the background. Um, really excited about my guest today. We've connected a couple of times um, and connected, you know, when you just talk to someone and you connect straight away. So um, that's what the history of Susie McAlpine and I is uh, virtual, but connected straight away, which is our weird new world. Um, a leadership specialist, and I don't know if I call it, well, you're an author now, but um, does a fantastic podcast called The Leader's Digest, or uh, it's a blog more than a podcast, sorry. Been featured in Forbes and New Zealand Herald, and has now written a book called Beyond Burnout, which I've been very, very fortunate um, to be able to read and go through and it's just really really um, resonated with me and that's how we connected Susie so welcome um, sorry about the the long intro but <laughs> fantastic to have you here and and nice new headphones oh thanks JK hi it's great yeah my my old ones that were really ugly um sort of kicked the bucket this morning so yeah I'm rocking my new headphones um especially for you so it's lovely thanks very much for having me um on your podcast it's and amazing. based based in beautiful Nelson and married yeah. with three children so yeah. Yeah. um yeah. but I recommend to everyone when the book comes out um beyond burnout to to, to go and grab it but also do some pre-orders or whatever you need to do because one of the first things that um hit me Susie was your introduction about not giving your son a hug which actually just about made me cry <laughs> um and so that intrigued me straight away so burnout I mean you know uh, invented by a, by a psychiatrist or psychologist in 1974 as something but I've never really understood it so tell me a little bit about your story and and the non-hug a little bit without giving too much away around the book yeah. and and why are yeah. you living in Nelson? Because when I was reading that, it was, you're in Auckland. Auckland, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, when I think about why I wrote the book, um, what really, there was kind of a, um, a perfect storm. I had experienced burnout, although at the time I didn't recognize it. Um, I, and this sort of lent my um, Nicholas no hug moment, which I talk about in the book, which was to this day, I still feel, you know, the sun, um, you know, I, I still get teared up myself thinking about how depersonalized and, and, and sort of distant I had become as a result of burnout. Um, but I also, in my role as a leadership coach, I get a front row seat to lots of people who are experiencing burnout. And I started to really sort of notice that. And I noticed a lot about um, that it was starting to come up a lot more in articles and books. So, you know, burnout has been around for just about as long as um, mankind. There are even 
uh, you know, references to burnout in Shakespearean writings, but it's a growing problem. And, um, and so those sorts, that those three things really started to, um, to make me think, well, I want to write a book. And the other thing I wanted to, to say is that, that at the time, there were lots of books on burnout and there were lots of articles about burnout, but they all targeted, targeted the individual who was experiencing it. And that kind of like annoyed the heck out of me a little bit and I wasn't quite sure why. And I think what I, the more I looked into it, the more I realized that we're putting far too much onus onto the individual to, to spot it, to treat it, to prevent it. And that's a bit like treating the sick fish when the water is contaminated. You know, leadership, uh, which is my realm, um, uh, is central uh, to any conversation about burnout. And I think I wanted to bring the conversation back to be a bit more balanced. You know, uh, what can leaders and organisations do, uh, as well as individuals, to, to sort of um, address burnout? I think the, the thing that intrigued me the most, and I'm going to confess to you right now that your book has made me realize that. So, you know, I have a, a daily mental health plan and at Mentimea, we talk about the six pillars and I'll talk to you about those later. So my daily mental health plan basically includes the six pillars, which keeps me incredibly mentally well on a daily basis. But reading your book and retrospectively looking back at when I was coaching the blues, I think I was... Uh, burnt out mentally well but burnt out which now I don't know if that's the case and I wanted to discuss it with you because when I was when I was reading your book about burnout um, you know emotional distancing yeah um, depersonalization you know often feeling alone um, not sleeping which is a mental health you know sort of anxiety depression issue which I'd been through um, but I wasn't sleeping when I was coaching the blues, but I wasn't unwell. I wasn't, yeah. you know, ruminating negatively. I was ruminating about losing a hundred football games. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so the interesting thing for me is, um, I would imagine that burnout does lead to anxiety and depression and can to an extreme, but burnout is actually a thing by itself I mean what is emotional how can it affect emotional distancing or depersonalization and I guess we get back to the to the yeah. situation that you're in yeah um I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about in retrospect what you were noticing and so you've picked up some of the what I call the red flags of burnout so um burnout is is a state of um kind of chronic emotional physical and mental exhaustion caused by either excessive or prolonged stress, but it's purely in the professional realm. It's all to do related to your professional life. And although the um, research has shown that there's some crossover with, um, with burnout and depression, for example, so often it, the symptoms can be quite similar. They're two quite distinct con constructs. Um, but burnout has left, if it's in chronic stages, it can actually lead to depression, anxiety. You're absolutely right. Um, I think there are three sort of if you think about the symptoms of burnout or the three red flags you've, you've now the you know you've nailed it on the head there JK it's um, one is chronic exhaustion and we're not just talking about oh, I'm really tired after a really full-on week or a period of work or you know often when you go on holiday and your tank fills up or your batteries recharge and you come back after a weekend or a holiday one of the indicators or warning signs of burnout is that you just can't recharge your batteries. You can't, you can't 
fill it up. You've got this sort of pervasive chronic exhaustion. The cynicism and depersonalization is a really interesting one. And research has shown that men tend to display this more than women. So often this is how it comes up. And it's that sort of distancing, um, a sort of a detachment um, often maybe frustration and cynicism perhaps you've been you know usually a pretty positive person and it's um, and it's coming up as detachment or personalized you know isolation um, you look at people in the medical field doctors that has some pretty big imp implications for patient care and stuff and that that third one is reduced professional uh, efficacy so it's sort of feeling like I can't do my job I just what's the point um, I'm working really hard I'm doing everything but nothing I'm doing tends to make um, make a difference I know one person that I interviewed for the book said it had a great metaphor they said um, it's a bit like running a marathon in treacle so those are the sort of three things I don't know if that answers your question but yeah it's it's, it's, it's I mean it intrigues me incredibly because i think the thing i like is that um it is work related right so yeah. so you go i talk when i do our, my mental health talks i talk about the ability to unplug our brains right so yeah. we've got so many inputs going into our mind um you know sometimes the computer craps out you unplug it restart it and it works we need to do without a brain so a lot of the I, I say to people are you waking up tired and I, yeah. you know, three quarters of the room put their hand up. Um, yeah. And I put that down to sort of your brain not switching off or, you know, your brain too active. And that's why for me reading before I go to sleep. So when, is that different to the exhaustion that you're talking about? I mean, when you've got burnout, can you, can you sleep well, wake up okay, but then you're just always tired? Is there a difference there? Is there a difference? That's such a good question. Um, look, I think some of the things that you talk about, about switching off, some of those practices that, you know, Mentimia are so good at, um, uh, you know, at, at encouraging us to do are really important because, um, so I think that's really, that that's the that's very important. Burnout does come up in physical exhaustion as well as not being able to sleep. There's a whole myriad of cognitive, mental and emotional um, uh, issues that come up when somebody is doing, um, is experiencing burnout. But I think the main difference between other mental distress in the workplace is it's squarely in the realm of work. It's, you know, the work is the cause of it or the professional environment. And so, um, yeah, I would say that that this is where often it, it becomes a little bit um, muddied with anxiety and depression because oh. you can you can have some really tough, really stressful things going on in your personal life, and that sucks, right? Yeah. But that's not burnout. You know, burnout really is um, is to do with your professional life and your work and the environment uh, and the environmental factors. Yeah, the other interesting thing, and I want to I want to go into both these. So uh, you got some beautiful illustrations in your book, um, not complicated, which was awesome. But you know, you talked about uh, no use trying to fix the fish if the if the water is muddy um, or contaminated. And I thought that was really interesting because when I picked up your book, I thought about it from a leadership point of view. So, but nice. you're saying it can be leadership people who are in leadership, which is one of your expertises, and also the people who work there. So firstly, um, one thing that I'm trying to change is, you know, net, let's not wear stress and anxiety as a badge. Badge of honor. Shit, I'm bloody busy. And, you know, we've got to get away from that. So 
are our leaders who are running our organizations, are they just accepting burnout as part of the pay packet for want of a better word? Yeah, in some cases, yes. And I, and I totally agree. I think um, culturally, particularly in Western societies and in many organizations, we glorify stress, right? Um, we, we glorify overwork. And, um, and I think that needs to change and it all starts at, at the top. Um, sorry, I forgot what was your last question? What was your question? So, so are, the, are the leaders that you're dealing with, you know, are they wearing it as a badge? And what do you yeah. sort of suggest that they do to identify it and change it? And what will be some of the benefits that they will get out of actually saying, you know, this doesn't come with the pay packet. Yeah. You know, I talk yeah. to a lot of people who yeah. go, you know, oh, well, I'm getting paid to do this. And I go, well, yeah. no, you're not, you know, yeah. you're getting yeah. paid. To... So how does a leader identify it, which obviously get your book and read it, but, you know, some simple things that they can do now to recognize it and then maybe turn that round. Well, I think it's really good that you're talking about what leaders um, can do here because, um, Leaders underestimate the sh shadow they cast. When they whisper, it comes out like a shout. And um, there's no point saying, don't work hard, but I'm going to work 90 hours a week or whatever, and I'm going to send emails. So um, I think you have, yeah. with all great leadership, you've got to, you've got to start with self. Um, you know, I talk about um, one of the four strategies is to organize um, work. You know, there are four strategies I talk about in the book around addressing burnout. One is uh, recognize, destigmatize, socialize, and organize. And I think it talks to your organize. Um, you know, to, you know, your question talks to that. We need to start to be better. Uh, leaders need to start to be better at um, prioritizing work, uh, not only for themselves but for the organisation. I think a lot of leaders underestimate what they can do uh, in five years, but they overestimate what they can do in one. So you'll see leadership um, teams saying, oh, you know, here's, here's our top 10 priorities. Well, that makes, that's a bit of an oxymoron. It makes a, a mockery of the word prior. So I think the most important thing that leaders can do is they need to model what they want to see in others. There's, you know, people pay far more attention to what you do. Um, you know, it's not do as I say but not as I do and so I think you need to look in the mirror first um, uh, when you when it comes to that that sort of switching off or um, glorifying stress um, the other thing also when we talk about destigmatizing burnout let alone other even more stigma laden um, you know mental distress in the workplace is um, is really talking about um, you know destigmatizing mental distress in the workplace. Uh, you know, Brene Brown, who wrote, um, who's that shame researcher said, shame never really drives positive behavior. Oh. And um, so I think leaders can help destigmatize burnout and other mental distress by talking about their own experiences. I mean, look at you, you've done just such an amazing job of that. Uh, I look at people like Craig Hudson from Zero, who, yeah. who came out and talked about his own, um, you know, depression. And so, if we really want to destigmatize burnout or other mental distress in the workplace, um, leaders can have a, a play a huge role in doing that, just by not only creating psychological safety and trust, but talking about their own experiences. And and worse, I mean, for me, it's it, it's changing a culture and I, and I and I'm, I know we can do that but 
it comes part and parcel and that's what I want to break down. And it's really interesting that, you know, some of the statistics that you quote $125 billion to $190 billion in global, in global, right. Healthcare spending each year. I mean, for me, when you say prioritize, socialize, uh, is that actually going into your workplace and saying, right, you know, here are the signs, this is what we need to do. And this is going to save us. And, you know, absenteeism is another thing that we talk about at Mentimere called presenteeism, where you're actually, uh, yeah. at, work, I love you're that. actually at work, but yeah, yeah. you're you know, not there. Yeah. yeah, you're not there. Um, you know, and just so leaders should be looking into this in twofold, right? Looking into books like yours, but also looking into the financial, you know, sort of not rewards, but the financial um, cost that this could be costing them? And how would you suggest they do that? So they can look at it two or three different ways, right? Absolutely. Um, and, and to that point, you know, making mental well-being and stamping up burnout makes good business sense, as well as being, um, you know, avoiding incredible personal suffering for employees. So for those financially minded, I say, well, it might, you know, it makes sense for the bottom line. And I was pretty blown away at the costs of burnout, um, which are, are really uh, affecting, you know, all aspects of an organization's um, success. I think like most things it needs to start at the top, if you look at those organizations who have done it well, um, paying lip service to it um, doesn't help. So I think it needs to be really modeled at the top table. Um, I think, you know, when, um, when leaders pay lip service or tick the box, um, I think that's important. I, I also think it's really important that we address some of the myths around um, around what, how to address burnout. So in my book, um, under all of those strategies, I go into some quite um, sort of detail and practical tools that um, organisations and leaders and individuals can do. Um, but I keep going back to, um, you know, it's not all about the individual. I think that's one of the myths that burnout yeah. is about the individual, but really it's, it's not, it's an organisational and leadership thing. So... Oh. Susie, I have to fess up because I actually, I'm pleased you put them down as myths because I actually believed those myths before I uh, started reading your book, right? Which yeah. is which is incredible. And, yeah. th and that's what I talk about, about some of the things, call them myths, call them wearing it as a badge that just aren't true, right? Um, the other that's thing that was interesting is uh, you know, we, we talk about burnout being a leadership issue, but you talk about it being an environment issue, your work environment, and how, you know, everyday people can be suffering from burnout because yeah. of what the organisation does. Absolutely. So when you look at the, the six causes of burnout, um, and the obvious one that most people go to is overwork, right? You know, we haven't got the resources to do the job, but there are five other causes. And when you start to look at the causes of burnout, of course, it's, it, it makes um, perfect sense that these are organisational um, challenges. And those are insufficient reward, um, either a perceived or real sense of isolation. Um, a lack of fairness, so that whole distributive justice um, aspect, um, a values conflict or mismatch between the culture of the organisation and my own, you know, my own values, um, and the sixth one is really lack of control. And so when you look at all of these, you can't look at um, uh, 
uh, burnout as an individual problem. It, it automatically by default becomes an organizational and a leadership one. Um, anyone, one of the things I want to say is that anyone can suffer from burnout and, and does. Um, so um, there are certain professions which feature and not in a good way. So, you know, things like medical, um, the legal profession, the teaching profession, um, what we call, you know, caregiving or human services professionals uh, are those. But um, we are seeing burnout at all echelons um, within uh, within organizations and, and right across the board. So um, I think, you know, that myth that I talk about it is stop thinking about it as an individual problem, because if one person is suffering from burnout, you want to you want to look, take a look under the bonnet because probably it's more widespread and some people might be just bunking down and because of stigma, you know, we can't deal with something if it's hidden. So um, yeah, that that's what I would say about that. Um. I think the the other interesting thing that I was thinking about um, while reading your book was, oh, bugger it, I'll just leave work then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if that's yeah. the problem. Um, but that's often not a reality for people. But also what you're saying is that, um, you know, if you measure those things, then you can change that within the organization and that's the place to start. And it doesn't sound, um, you know, too difficult. It, except for possible well, it's going to be difficult but apart from the values one because i think if your values aren't yeah. aligned then, you know you probably need to say i'm not at the right place but the other ones are actually for the leaders quite achievable and measuring asking like you keep talking about socializing is that what you mean talk about these things in the workplace yeah. work yeah. out where where you are with it and change those things Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's that saying we we respect what we inspect and measure. And so if if organizations are really serious about putting mental well-being um, as part of their strategy, you need to you need to look at all of those levers. And you're right, the values mismatches is is possibly one, but all the others can be can be really affected by leadership. So I think you're right, you need to start measuring that. There are um, specific burnout, um, like the Maslach burnout inventory is one but at least start to measure these things um, I, I think is important when we talk about socialize it's really about building purposeful components um, and moments for connection so as we know humans are hardwired for connection you know um, it's been you know we needed that since cave days and yet what's really alarming is more and more people are feeling isolated at work and so I don't think it's enough for leaders and organizations to kind of leave it up to individuals. You know, I often say we're having lots of what are we doing conversations, you know, leaders and, you know, if we look around our organizations, there's lots of what are we doing conversations. And that's right. You know, that's a good thing. We need to have task focused um, conversations. We need to have action. We need to look at that. But I don't think there are enough how are we going conversations, you know, where a leader shows up and has empathy and asks, how are you? And then listens actively, you know? So I think, I think that's what we talk about with socialize. I think we need to be really purposeful about creating connections. And I think that's something that Mentimia, you know, you guys have, have done really well around, um, around that, that as well. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And I want to dig into this point a wee bit because it is one of, um, you know, our six pillars. And it's one, yeah. of, it's one of my daily mental health, um, you know, it's in my mental health plan. 
I think connection is something that's really, really important because what we're, what we're noticing also in some of our youth is that they have access to a lot of what we perceive as connection through Facebook and through, you know, social media. Um, however, they're feeling more and more isolated and lonely. Yeah. So yeah. you know, when you talk about connection and I, and I say this, and I'm interested to see what your, um, you know, what your ideas are, but I say it's okay connect through Facebook or Instagram and that sort of stuff, but you do need the human connection. You do need to be able to connect. Like I have a simple rule. When someone comes into my heart, I ring them. Yeah. Right? I love that. And, and, um, and, and, you know, I thought I about a guy it. who I hadn't, spoken to for I don't know 20 years and I I, I looked up his number and called him you know um, I love that yeah really 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 interesting but it makes me feel better but I think the interesting thing for me is in a workplace when you're feeling lonely how do you how do you do the connection there because that I've never considered that you know I understand social media you know, you got all, you know, seeing everyone, although there's never an ugly person on Facebook, you know what I mean? Everyone looks great yeah, in their, yeah. their togs and their bikinis and stuff. But, um, you know, what, I, what I'm saying is how do you feel lonely when you're actually got all these people around you and how do you solve for that? Yeah, I, 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 I just want to say I love your, um, your uh, mantra of reaching out to someone when they come into their heart. And that's something that leaders can do, you know, with their people in, in some ways. If you're isolated uh, and feeling isolated, and this can be really hard because I, I mean, I've suffered from depression before and when you're feeling low, you, it's really hard to just make that um, connection and make that first step. But in the book, um, I think Gabby Reese, I quote, who um, she says, I go first. So seek out what is available um, in your organization. And for some, it might be sports, you know, clubs, or there might be a sports team, or for others, um, it can be, um, you know, I don't know, the social club. So um, I think finding people that you connect with is really important. What I would say is the individual who might notice that somebody is isolating. So another person, if you have a colleague, um, you know, reach out, invite them along to lunch um, or, um, or, or just ask how they are. But once again, I come back to leaders because one of the most important things that leaders can do, a direct manager can do to prevent that isolation is to build psychological safety and trust with their team. In fact, I would say that's the, the first priority for any leader because if you have, um, you know, created a team culture where people can be themselves, where it's okay to speak up. Um, I always think, you know, you've got high trust in a, in a team when people are saying, uh, you know, I've made a mistake. You're better at this than me. Um, I'm worried about that. Uh, and that needs to be modelled, um, you know, by the leader. So I would go back and say that if you are feeling isolated, reach out. And But I don't want to put too much onus on the individual. I think we, we've got to take care of each other. Um, so it's almost like if you feel that someone's isolated, um, then that's that's your chance to do what you did, uh, and especially leaders. I think uh, that, that's really intriguing for me. So I often talk about um, people often ask me the differences between you know, living in different places of the world. And I say, yeah. 
Um, you know, the trouble is with New Zealanders, everyone's great. So when you go in in the morning, you say, how are you? I'm fantastic. Yeah, I'm fine. Bunch of fluffy ducks. How are you, mate? Bloody good, you know? Um, yeah. Whereas if you do that in Italy, someone might say, oh, I feel like shit today. You know, I've yeah. had a fight with my, with my partner and the boss is an asshole and, you know? So getting back to that isolation stuff, how do we identify when someone is isolated, um, you know, that's in our workplace? What are some of the signs? Because we, we fake shit. New Zealanders don't take their whole self to to work so yeah. how, do you, how do you pick up on those signs um well one of the things that i think leaders can do is to build into operating rhythms um over time to regularly check in with um on mental well-being one of the you know little t things that people can do that leaders can do is you know um a quick well-being check-in you know on a scale of one to ten how is everybody today or how are you today and over time um that will give you a better indication about how your your direct report is going. So it's not, you know, there's no shame. Um, I think, I think just full presence uh, and active listening over time by a leader with their direct report will create safety for someone to be open about that. Um, I know that seems really trite just to say that, but how rare is it that we have, or how often do people say, oh, how are you? Good, great, let's get on with what we're doing. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, yeah, how are you? And don't even wait for the response. And so- I do it myself. Yeah, same. We're all guilty of it. We're all guilty totally. of it. I think it's something that I'm really conscious of trying to change, but there's, there's, there's another another interesting thing that I've picked up on in your conversation, which I'll probably steal if you don't mind. Um, Please do. psych psychological safety, because yeah. you know I joke about going on to you know um, you know a, a, a site where everyone's wearing their the, you know their hard hat, their their, their high vis, their boots, and all that sort of stuff. But how do we measure psychologically? Or you go into the you go into the <laughs> lawyers, right? And everyone's stressed to the max. And you, and you go into the toilet and says, you know, the health and safety is please don't slip on the floor. It's just been washed. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, and someone's yeah. sitting in the mirror. like, <laughs> So you know, that, that's psychological safety. So what you're saying, what I'm hearing is that leaders should just put it on the agenda and be oh. serious about it. You know, how are you feeling today? And start with yourself. I feel like shit because I didn't sleep because I'm worried about the budget or whatever. You start. Yeah, and you've hit the nail on the head, John. It's back to that earlier point that you can't expect others to do what you're not doing yourself, and you need to model that vulnerability. I think it's talking about it's vulnerable. It's 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 vulnerability based trust. It's um, so you're right. So one is have more conversations, open, non-judgmental, supportive conversations about mental well-being. Start to talk about your own mental challenges or how you're feeling just like you said I'm you know take a leaf out of the Italian's book and go well sorry guys um you know if I'm feeling distracted today um you know this happened as much as you you know and some are, some people are more open about their personal life but the thing about it's back to that shadow that leaders cast you know you come in you've had a um a, you know a shitty morning you walk into a meeting and your face is like thunder or you're really low as a leader that the the shadow that you cast people are finely attuned to what you're doing and so this is where transparency is really important 
Because if you start to do that, then it tells everybody else it's okay for them to do it as well. And of course, when they are open and vulnerable, you know, don't come down with shaming or blaming. You know, it's it's once again active listening. We leaders can all get always get better at listening and and being supportive and saying what can I help and just being fully present. You know, without our phones and all yeah, this. I think that. I think that another interesting question I have for you is I talk to a lot of uh, business leaders myself who are yes. hard workers, right? Yep. They get up early, they go to work early, they leave late, but they're actually well, right? Yes. And, and, and so I say to them, it's important that you communicate or change. Yeah. Like if you get up at four o'clock and do your emails, because that's how you stay well, that's fine, but don't send them more. So what's your advice on those people that work, that like working hard, yeah. Like working long, but actually it's bad for their environment. How do you say to leaders, okay, here's how you act because you're okay if other people don't do it. I talk to a lot of them. They say, yeah. you know, I'm okay if people you know turn up at 10 or drop the kids off, but actually what you say versus your actions, yeah. you know, people are getting a mixed message. How do you deal with that? Yeah, um, I, I, I think that's a really good question. And, and just a point on working long hours, working long hours, in and of themselves is not necessarily a cause of burnout. Some people, you know, they get into a state of flow, you know, senior leaders, they love what they do. Their capacity is great. You pointed out a really small but really important thing. If you start firing out emails at 11 or 6 or whatever, a lot of people, unless you're really, really clear and transparent about it, will feel the need that that is what I have to do too. So a really simple tool is, you know, write the email when it comes in, but put it into draft, just like you say. You know, be cognizant about um, the expectations of people um, to respond to things like email and technology. Um, I think once again, it comes back to transparency. Say, so look, you know, if you were having these sort of conversations about wellness, you might have a conversation and say, well, look, I work, but I don't expect others to, um, you know, uh, forget about time clocking if you can, if, unless you're in that environment where it works like that. So I think once again, being very aware of your own behavior and what message that might be sending to the team that you lead, is that congruent with the messages I'm wanting to say? And then secondly, just have conversations. You know, you could say, you know, what 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 is this team and my direct repeat team uh, what do we think about what's um, what what constitutes overwork? What are your uh, what do you consider to be okay? What's your capacity? What's not? You know, have a conversation about it. I think the interesting thing, and I want to touch on COVID and its effects on burnout, but I I want to understand. So the interesting thing for me during COVID was that at the end of it, talking to a lot of business leaders, they were saying. You know, we used to measure productivity with our eyes. So you're in there yeah. at eight or quarter past and you're leaving yeah. at six. And, you know, those guys are staying till seven. Um, COVID has completely changed mm -hmm. that. So, you know, how how do we start properly measuring um, productivity and making sure that people are at ease with how they work? Because we're all so different, yet there's this... I don't know, it's probably been around 150 years where it's nine to five. Well, that's not mm. going to exist in the future, is it? It's either mm. six till nine at night or three hours and you get your work done. How do you promote or communicate that? Um, I think COVID is 
you know, really thrown up um, some different ways of working. Um, and you're right, I don't think it's about what you don't want to do is be checking in on how much they're working every sense of the day, because I think particularly from working from home or remote learning, people have to work with their own rhythms. I think probably focus on outputs, um, how people get there. I mean, one of the biggest causes of burnout is a lack of control and in, in, you know, the degree in which they have a say in the way that their work is carried out. So as much as possible within the constraints of your organisational culture, you know, don't do the checking up, but focus on cl clarifying key outputs and when, and then, you know, delegating properly and checking in. And once again, you know, if, you know that some of the best organisations when COVID hit and we went into lockdown actually had some conversations with their team about trying to work that out. Um, what's right for one person might be different to another. Um, what I do think is really important is that face-to-face -face connection, you know, or checking in with a text or a, um, not to check up on people, but to see how they are going, you know, what are you, you know, what are you finding challenging? Where have you been your wins? It's kind of under that how are we going conversation. Uh, because some people can be working really long hours and not being productive and other people might not. So I think it's that focus on the outcome and the output and their wellness as they go through some flexibility. Yeah, the other thing that's, um, that, that I talk about is is do not um, <laughs> do things for the lowest common denominator. When I talk about mental yeah. health, there will be an asshole out there that will take advantage of mental health when they're not mentally unwell and yeah. take more days than they should. But that'll be one, you know, yeah. that'll be yeah. one or two percent. But often in the workplace, we are doing things for the lowest common denominator, right? Oh, oh we totally. need to be careful because that person at home, you know, they won't be working. So one thing yeah. that I'm trying to promote is that 97% of the people are probably going to do everything that they need to do to get the work done for you. I mean, are you seeing that during and post-COVID? Oh, yeah, totally. I couldn't agree with you more, JK. I think we tend to go, it's called the fundamental attribution era. It's almost like if, um, and that talks to, and we all fall prey to it. It's like if, if somebody does something wrong, we automatically... Um, put it down to their bad character. Whereas if I do the same thing, it's about circumstance. So, you know, I might be driving into Auckland because I'm running late for a really important meeting and I tend to cut in in front of somebody. Now, if somebody cuts in front of me, what do we say? You know, jerk, whatever. Um, and so- I'm Probably I, a bit stronger than that. Yeah, 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 we are, you know, exactly. But, you know, if I do the same, it's just, I never do it, but I did it because I was running, you know, I was running late. And so, you know, what you just talked about, I, I love that, you know, it might be, the, we, we tend to attribute the fundamental attribution error. Um, and, and I think your mindset is one that I wholeheartedly agree is, yes, you might get a few people who take the piss, but actually most people are not. They genuinely want to do the best they can with what they have. They want to show up and do good work because that's human nature. It's about human motivation. And so I think that default um, is really, really important um, to consider. And the other question I would say to that point is, what are the benefits and unintended benefits of, of starting with, um, you know, of, of the effect of trusting your staff? 
you know, I mean, if I feel trusted by my boss, I mean, you know, you absolutely have to check in. But if that's my default, I'm going to have a lot more, um, you know, stronger, more positive feelings towards my direct manager and the organization than if it's all about the distrust, you know, yeah. piece. So, yeah, bravo. I've got a question for you because it keeps popping into my um, into my brain. You talked about those six pillars. Can you talk yeah. about those? Because I'm yeah, well, really that's that's a great little segue because I always like to understand on a personal level what my guests are doing. So basically, um, and I call it my daily mental health plan at, at, at Mentimia, we call it the pillars because we believe if, if you have these six pillars, then you'll be mentally well. So chill, what do you do to chill? Yeah. What do you do to connect? What do you do? And when I talk about do, I, for example, I play the guitar. Yeah. It sounds like I'm killing a cat. I'm absolutely useless, but it is a do thing for me. It's creative. It's something new. It's for me. It switches off my brain. Move. And, yep. you know, this is not about, you know, the photos on the walls of the gym. You know, everyone's perfect. This is actually about what are you doing? Walks, yoga, stretching, celebrate. Yep. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I call it congratulations to me. Yeah, um, I, I do a congratulations to me. And what are you doing just for pure enjoyment? So I'm yeah. going to throw that back at you now, Susie. So what do you do to chill? Yeah. So first of all, chilling um, comes in two forms for me these days. Um, one is cooking. And I'm a, I'm a really bad cook, actually. Not like you. I know I've heard about your cooking stories. But for me, if I'm in my home, so my home um, is, my, is really my... Um, Castle. It is, actually. And both my husband and I travel a lot for work. So being at home, in the kitchen, um, cook with the time to con connect, and then watching a movie or something with my husband or my kids, although my two boys are older now, but uh, with my daughter. So that I think that that's what I do to chill. Um, connect. How do you connect with friends and community? Because at Mentimera, mm. we're really keen on, we think that the community is also feeling alone. So how mm. do you connect with friends, but also your community? I really like that. Um, so I've got a, I have fewer friends these days, I think, in terms of my social connection, but um, they're, they're much deeper friendships. I don't know if that's an older... Um, you know, uh, um, becoming older, but um, I'll jump on a Facebook or a WhatsApp with two of my bridesmaids who we've been, you know, friends with for a year and have really good conversations. Um, I'm part of a network, a women's networking group, um, quite small, but we get together once a month and, um, you know, talk about our challenges and our wins, those sorts of things. So I, I think I have fewer but more meaningful conversations. I also take my mum out for coffee every Sunday she's in her 80s oh, beautiful. Um, which um, actually I think gives me just as much if not more joy than her especially because she's getting on um, now what do you do so this is this do yeah. is really interesting because as I told you I'm a very very bad um, guitar player but I think one thing that I think New Zealand needs to get back to in the schooling system is I don't think we put enough on creativity, the arts, the oh. music, that sort of stuff. So what are you doing in the creative new hobby area? Well, I'm really lucky because one of the things that brings me really deep joy and that gets me into that sense of flow, you know, people talk about flow where time stands still and yet mm -hmm. it goes really quickly, uh, is writing. 
you know, which is quite good that I write this book, right? Yeah. Um, Cal Newport wrote this great book called Deep Work. I thoroughly recommend it if you haven't worked it. And he talks about all of this stuff. So I'm really lucky that my job, I write the letters digest. Uh, so writing for me is your guitar playing. Cool. And I'm Move. just lucky I get that. Move. Um, I'm an F45. I, got, I discovered it last Bring it year. Bring it on, girl. I know, right? And uh, I've even, I've kind of got a bit crazy this um, January where I'm sort of doing it five or six times a week. But that also has the connection space as well, right? So I've yeah. got, I'm, I'm usually somebody who likes to run or do solo stuff. But I mean, yeah, I'm in love with F45. In and out, efficient, 45 Beautiful. minutes. I um, call it. I call it two birds with one stone. So I encourage people. Yeah. I encourage people. Like I say, you know, I've got a dog. Well, it's not really a dog. Um, but my wife and I go walking, take the dog, dog, and we reconnect. I call that two birds with one stone. So if 45 is two birds with one stone, you're connecting. Yeah. How do yeah. you celebrate? Congratulations to me. How do you do that? Um, so one of the things that I really struggled with um, when I uh, experienced depression um, back into sort of 2014, I had a quite a sort of a, a dark time. I spoke about it, I wrote about it in my blog. Was that the voices, and you know this, all the voices in my head was, what have I not done? You know, oh, you had to, you didn't do that well, or you haven't done that. And I mean, just, you know, the usual thing, the way we speak to ourselves is never how we would speak. So um, I had a wonderful therapist actually who said, I want you to try every night three things that you're proud of. And we're Teflon coated for the good and we're Velcroed for the bad when it comes to ourselves. So I found that really challenging. But that's that su is a such a good, I'm going to steal that one as well. Do, go for it. I know that's not mine. But, um, you know, that was one of the things that the practices along with meditation. I know you're a more of a walking active meditation, but I discovered headspace. And even if it's five minutes, um, yeah, but at nighttime, I'm lying in bed. Um, I've got my little diffuser on. I do the wind down. Um, and I think of myself three things that I'm proud of, and that's sometimes hard, but it can be little things like, um, you know, I was there for my daughter when she was having a tough time today, or um, I said no, which is really hard for me. And, you know, I'm a bit of a people pleaser and I take on way too much, you know. So, me too. I need to go to the University of No, my wife told yeah. me. Yeah, there's a really great book, actually, which has some good tips called Essentialism by Greg McCowan. Okay. Um, I love it. It's one of my best books, both not only for leaders, but individuals. And he's got some really good tips about how to say no without, you know, being career limiting at work or in other ways. Yep. So I don't know if you've already answered this, but enjoy. So self-care and things to look forward to. I have something to look forward to every single day. It's really what do you important. have? Yeah, what's yours? Um, tonight it's uh, scallops, coromandel scallops. Oh, yeah. I haven't decided whether I'm going to cook them in a, a pistachio pesto that I learned in Venice or whether Stop I'm just going to egg and breadcrumb them like my mum would have liked. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, either of those two is good, man. Stop <laughs> it. I'm jealous. Um, joy. Well, self-care, just enjoy. What do you enjoy? Well, my husband would say I spend far too much um, money on things like facials and, um, you know, yeah, and beauty. That's the thing. It's really good. I, I love that. Um, joy for me is lying on the couch, watching, um, you know, like Harry Potter with my 12-year-old and my husband beside me and my cat on my lap. And it's no really guilt. Really, it's the symptom. And no guilt. No guilt about doing it. 
that's yeah i'm a work in, i'm a work in progress on that one the other thing i would say for joy actually um john and and i think this is really important for people who are experiencing burnout um is all of the, this is when those six pillars that you talk about if you think about if somebody is experiencing burnout what can i do and i talk about that in the book um but those sorts of six pillars are really important to help fill out your tank. You know, have, have, uh, one of the things for me is a walk in nature. You know, there's a whole lot of research about the power of walking and being in nature. I think the Japanese have called it forest bathing as a term mm -hmm. for it. And there's some scientific proof that, you know, um, a walk in nature can actually lift your spirit. So I would add that to my joy as well. Okay, so just to finish, Susie, some quick fire stuff. Okay. Who have you come across other leaders around the world who you think have great habits and behaviors for well-being? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think Brene Brown, uh, who wrote Dare to Lead, she's in my book here. Um, I think she has, some this is a really good book here. Um, yeah. She's the uh, research author on, um, who, who, who's done a lot of research on shame, etc. Um, she's got some really good practices. Um, my, uh, who else would I say is really good in terms of mental wellness? Um, interestingly, I think Mark Crowley, who is, um, he's on Twitter at the moment. He's called, uh, he does a lot of work around heart-centered leadership. Um, I think he's got some really good practices. Um, and who else would I say has some really good practices? Well, you actually, I think you you've done some. I think you've got a lot to bring um, to organisations and leaders around how to model that. So what are you go. reading? Um, what I'm reading, my favourite book at the moment, um, is Insight by Tasha Urich. And it's one that I've just recommended to a leadership team and an executive leadership team I am uh, working with. And it's all about self-awareness. So how do I see myself and how does the world see me? Um, self-awareness is a superpower for great yeah. leadership, right? Yeah. And none of us are that self-aware as much as we think we are. So Tasha Urich's book, uh, Insight, is a really good one. What keeps you awake at night? my work what what do you think is an open mind one filled with curiosity and non-judgment yeah i'd agree with that and learning someone who's always absolutely always totally uh what would you like to say to the listeners in closing <laughs> apart from go out and buy my book on the night yeah no i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna say that because i'm absolutely loving and i think it's uh you know a must i love um love well i would i would talk because leadership is my world i would say that if you are a leader um you know a people leader or you don't have to have a title to be a leader and uh, you know i've seen great acts of leadership from all parts of organizations is um to build your self-awareness your emotional intelligence focus on building trust first and foremost with your um, team because you're in for a bumpy ride um, and have courage. It's probably all I would say. Susie, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm going to send you a virtual kiss and I'll give you a real kiss and a hug next time I see yeah, you. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's been a, like the time has just flown. It's been really intriguing. I, um, you know, I encourage everyone to put your book on their 
on their list. I know it's not out, it's not out till March. Is that right? Uh, no, March? Fe- uh, 9th of Feb. So, oh, 9th of Feb. Oh, so 9th of Feb. Just around yeah. the corner. And yeah. um, so it'll be in all good bookstores, yada, yada. Um, and you can buy it from my, you can order off my, um, you know, off my Beyond Burnout book. But um, JK, thanks so much. I, I want to go back to the beginning because you said, you know, we really connected. And um, I really felt like that you're a good bloke, right? <laughs> it's Thank really good you. fun to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah, no. Enjoy those scallops. Yeah, no, I will. And you enjoy the couch with the with the with the hubby and the daughter and the, and the and the beautiful. Um, I always have quite a soft blanket. Yes. My my anti guilt blanket. Totally. You know, you know Harry yeah. Potter when he had that invisible one yeah. on. Well, everyone yeah. can invent one of those, and I and I put it up and say I deserve this. I don't need to feel guilty about it. Yeah, totally. But listen, uh, I think um, just for me to finish, Susie, I like I want to tell the listeners go and buy this book because in the first few pages, um, you pulled at my heartstrings, um, and then I started reading the book and started learning a bit about myself and started to analyze what I need to change. So for that, I think um, that's the beauty of a book. If you if you can do that, then it's going to be awesome and. I wish you all the luck with it. I'm sure it's going to be hugely successful. And and thank you. My mum often finishes with this. You know, my mum, when when she passed away, you know, um, everyone came up to me at the funeral and said, you know, we loved your mum. And I said, you know, I love my mum too. Why did you love my mum? And they said, because she gave us time. And um, I I promised her looking down on her, on her grave that I would try and give more people time. So I want to thank you for your time because I know how precious it is, but you've given me a beautiful hour and I feel enriched for it. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you, JK. We'll talk again soon. We will. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Open Minded. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe. This podcast is everywhere you get your podcast. So make sure you do that. I don't need to tell you how, and then you'll get my new episode straight away. And if you can leave a review, tell everyone you know about it, it'd be awesome. If you could help spread the word about the show, thanks. But also, I'd love to get your feedback. You know, I'm new to this, I want to get better, and I want to know what you want to know about mental well-being. So please reach out to us, and thanks, and I'll see you all soon.